and Merry Christmas, I guess. Um, how's everyone doing this evening? Okay. One person that's excited about Christmas. <laughs> it is good to be here. Good to see you. Some uh, Definitely some familiar faces, some new faces too, which is awesome. Um, we miss you guys. As, you know, there's a lot I can say, uh, but we miss you guys, and it's so good. You know, I always kind of say this, but every chance we get to uh, worship with the saints, and that's a win. That's a win. You made a, a great choice this evening. I know probably quite a few places that you could, uh, that you were invited to, but you picked to be here to worship with the saints, and I think this is a win. Additionally, every chance we get to hear the gospel, to preach the gospel, man, that's that is an awesome, awesome time. So we've, we're doing both tonight, um, so it's good to see you. I, I can't believe that the fact that we, it's been already a year since we've uh, launched our services. We actually snuck in there in our building. Uh, I think we, we, we had a Christmas Eve service, which was really cool. Uh, but I can't believe that. Yeah, I just snapped my fingers, and it's Christmas again. Uh, but yeah, good to see you, good to worship with you. Um, would you mind if, if I get you guys to stand again, and I'll read the passage again, if that's okay. Um, like Pastor Mike was saying, it's a, a pretty unconventional text for, for this evening, but just go with it. Let's just go with it. I, I learned from the best. I told Pastor Mike that, you know. <laughs> so let's just read it again. So Romans chapter 11 from verse 33, just five verses. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him, and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And we're not done. One more verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let me just pray for us for a few seconds. Father, this is a good spot right here. We get to hear your word. We get to be in your presence with the saints. I ask that you would help every single person in here tonight. And they would just completely just rest in you. I, I know that my mind goes at a thousand miles an hour most of the time. So I just pray, Father, that you would help us pause. Help us pause this evening, Father, and look to you, focus on you. Help us, please. I ask, Lord Jesus, that if there's anyone here tonight that does, does not know you, I ask that you would reveal yourself to them in a powerful way. Would you grab a hold of all of our hearts here tonight? And we love you because you first loved us, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I think we often do uh, the Christmas story a disservice because we are so familiar with it. I mean, we celebrate it every year, right? And 
additionally, I think we romanticize the events of the Christmas story, right? And we put them on cute, you know, postcards and we, we, we um, sing about them in cute Christmas carols. And that, there's nothing wrong with that in children's plays, right? We romanticize the events of the Christmas story. But living through the events of the real Christmas story would have at times felt dreadful. And that's just the reality of it. I mean, we're, we're talking about a teenage girl that was, you know, you know, with her, you know, the future, her future ahead of her that was going to be rocked by scandal. And even though she did nothing wrong, her husband didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. So, so he was planning on leaving her quietly. Uh, we have this newlywed couple that was uprooted from their family, from their, you know, their home, their support system in the most inconvenient time of their lives. We have a king who was already losing his power to a Roman occupation. He just discovered there was a new king that was born, right, that would pose an even greater threat to his authority. So it seems that every life that was touched by the events of Christmas experienced inconvenience and hardship. Now, I'm not sure if our lives, all of our lives here, because I don't know everyone here personally, most of you. And I'm not sure if our lives have been touched by the real Christmas story or the events of Christmas. I'm not sure of that. But I believe that most of us, if not all of us, experience inconvenience and hardship to some degree this season, this Christmas. I mean, even if nothing went wrong in your life today, right? Let's just say that. Or in the past two weeks you certainly still feel the effects of the last two years of life on planet Earth and still counting, from what I can tell, that are still rippling in our lives, correct? Therefore, I have a feeling that many of our desires, many of our, you know, um, sensations, many of our, you know, feelings orient kind of around this concept that says, well, what can Jesus do for me then? Because I'm in pain. What can Jesus do for me then? Because I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing some hardship and some, some difficult circumstances. I'm saying that because, first of all, I think it's true. And then it's very important because how we act and how we live and how we speak and how we make decisions through a season of pain, through a season of suffering and hardship, especially now around Christmas, has to do with our response to the real Christmas story. It really, really does. I'm going to say something that's, that's probably not the nicest thing that I've said before. That the most popular sermons that we love so much are typically the ones that kind of lean towards what can Jesus do for me, right? I don't necessarily blame us because I know that, you know, human beings, we have this, this, this bent in, inwards, like we're, we're, we're selfish, you know, in other words. It's because we like these kind of sermons. I mean, you know. Who, who, who doesn't want a better car and a better house and, and to be healthy all the time, right? But imagine if I would have entitled my sermon for tonight, what I guarantee you that Jesus will do for you this Christmas season. Just imagine that. 
Let's be honest, you know, we're, we'd be pretty excited. And maybe not, which is a good thing. <laughs> you know, kids, we got to go to church tonight because, you know, this preacher is going to talk about, you know, what you're going to get for, for Christmas this season, right? And, and it's pretty exciting. Listen, I got news for us. He is, in fact, going to do some extraordinary things, some great things for us. And he's already doing it. I mean, I want to remind you what Scripture says. The prophet prophesies from the view of God, and he says, do you think I want to hurt you? Like, do you think I want to harm you? No. Do you think I want to take things from you? Actually, all the things that you have are mine, but I don't want to take them from you. I don't have plans to harm you or to hurt you, but to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. But here's the part that not many of us gets or get. Yes, he's going to do extraordinary things for us, for you, for me, but God's ultimate design for our life, and we see this throughout Scripture, is to start every single day of our lives, not giving in to any form of what can Jesus do for me today? In that focus, in that perspective, in, in that paradigm, what if every day you made a decision to answer honestly and truthfully this question, what has Jesus done for me? What has Jesus done for me? And then count those ways. Count those ways. This is very different. A life that says, do for me, Jesus. All right, Jesus, what are you going to do for me? I mean, 2021 was pretty sucky, right? <laughs> it was. It took everything away from me. It took my health. It took my parents. It took my sister. It took my money, my future, my health. Where are you, Jesus? What are you going to do for me this Christmas? This is very different than, do you know what Jesus has done for me? Do you know what he's done for me? Yeah, yeah, Ovi, but you keep on, because I know you're referring to the cross and the good news and all that. You keep, you know, but, 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 but what is he doing for you now, like lately? What's he done for you today, Ovi? I mean, come on. It doesn't even change the fact that what he's already done is enough, is it? Can I ask you this? Is the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, is that enough? And I'm asking myself the same question. Is Jesus' total authority, lordship, kingship, the sovereignty of Jesus, the king Jesus, is that enough for us? If he never did anything else for you and for me, for the rest of our lives, would it be enough? Would that be enough? Or would it offend us? Like, huh. I've done a lot for you, Jesus. I'm a Christian. That's offensive. Do you, know, do you know what Jesus says in the Gospels? And I'm going to paraphrase something that if you read throughout church history, you will see echoed throughout generations, right? Matthew 16, 25. And I'm going to paraphrase. That if we're trying to save our lives, we're actually going to lose them. So if you're trying to save your life, you're going to lose it. Do you know why Jesus' followers let go of their lives? And let go of their lives meaning they completely surrendered. And that word surrendered has kind of been lost on us. Because they counted the ways. 
Because they counted the ways, all the different ways and all the different things Jesus has done for them. That's why. And then they go, wow, really? And then their heart and their posture and their, their soul goes, not my will, but your will be done, Jesus. Not what I prefer, not what I want, not my desire, not my opinion. Your kingdom come, your will be done, Jesus. Let me ask this. Have we lost sight that God is in charge of America, of our country? Are we going to sit in this building, the PO, on this night of December 24th, 2021, and tell ourselves that Jesus Christ is not in charge of America or the world or the pandemic or our lives? I know that sometimes I act like I don't believe that he's in charge. That's not our theology, church. That's not my theology. It shouldn't be. I wake up every morning believing there's a king. He has not been elected and he will not be replaced. That's for sure. He is the forever one. He is the majestic one. He is the extraordinary one. He is the indescribable one. And he has all the power in his hands. And he does whatever he pleases. And he consults no one for he is God all by himself. He made men in his image. He made all of us in his image. He spoke words and we got a universe. He spoke words and we got oceans. He spoke words and, 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 and we, got, we, got, we got mountains and stars. He, 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 he spoke words and we got oceans that we can't even plumb the depths of. He created creatures in the ocean that no one will ever see but him. Is this not the God of the whole universe? Who rules and reigns over the affairs of absolutely everyone. The doings and the comings and the, and the goings of every country, every president, every person he has made. So, is your God in charge? Is my God in charge? Or is there a political party that you disagree with in charge? Is God who holds the king of every country in his hand, is he in charge? And I'm not saying let's tap out and not even care where this country's going. Let's not be responsible. Let's not even care what's happened. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is let's start by having the right perspective that God is in charge still. That he hasn't delayed anything, that his plan is still in motion, that God is good, that God is loving, and that he is just. And then act accordingly, act responsibly, act in light of that reality. What happened to the sense that maybe this is God, what's happening in the world? What happened to the sense that maybe this chaos that we're going through and the pain and the hardship of 2021 was allowed by God for specific reasons and that he is still in charge. Is that still a possibility for you and me? Could this be the most important moment in the history of our generations and lives? Could God be in this? Or nah, <laughs> this can't be God because it hurts. 
Man, it's not supposed to look like this. It's, this is not God. This can't possibly be God. It doesn't feel good. Or maybe this is God because of all of these reasons. As we established a few minutes earlier, namely the context of the Christmas story was one of hardship and pain and, and, and the fact that every life that was touched by the events of the Christmas story experienced inconvenience and hardship. And I know that 2021 was a difficult year, probably the most difficult year of your life, right? And the effects of it are still very raw and real in our lives. So let me ask you a question then. What are you going to do with all that pain? What are you going to do with all that suffering? What do you do with it? What's the prescription for your pain? Did you know that the prescription for our pain lies within the real Christmas story? It does. It really does. It's as if God himself allows all of this pain and inconvenience to happen just so that he, he lures us in, just so that we're lured in and persuaded and pulled in to start understanding what this Christmas story is all about. To understand exactly what happened at Christmas, that it's not necessarily about the lights, which we enjoy. And it's not necessarily about the gifts that we give each other, which I enjoy also. And it's not about ultimately about family time, which we should enjoy. And it all starts with understanding the good news that Jesus brought to us when he incarnated himself, right, into a human being just like us. But then he died on a cross as our savior to save us and to offer us a life with him, a totally transformed life. And you can start tonight. Uh, start what? Did I miss something? Well, start to understand what he did for you. And then start to count the ways he's provided for you in this good news. And then count the way he's cared for you. And then count the way, even bringing you here tonight so that you can be reminded of his love. Count the ways of how he's loved you. He's included you. He's redeemed you. He's forgiven you. He's saved you. And he's embraced you in this good news. Count the ways and then let it really land in your heart and then let it respond. Let's look really quick at our text just verse by verse we're not going to be long i promise you so verse 33 right the bible's and i, and I quote the, the bible says oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out do you understand god do you have god figured out do you know how all this is going to work out this chaos in the world did you have God in a box? Did he fit perfectly in your worldview? Or is there a God so big and so vast that he goes far beyond our arbitrary man-made boxes, definitions, and formulas? For who, the next verse says, verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or is wise enough to be the one to advise him in his plans? Are you like me? Do you get the knee-jerk reaction that you need to advise God on some things? 
It's like, Lord, you don't, you don't know how politics works down here in America. Just stay out. We're good. Or verse 35. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Oh, let this sink in, please. Have you, have I, has anyone ever in the history of the humankind given something to God that obligates God to repay them? Has this ever happened with anyone in our history that he would owe you something in return? There's so many days I've lived my Christian life on this planet actually believing that my serving, my loving, and my preaching and has entitled me to things from God. I never, I never say it explicitly or out loud, hey, Lord, you didn't bless. No, but it comes out through my living. It's subconscious. It just really comes out. And then I catch myself, whoa, whoa. What's Jesus going to do for me now? Because I've given him my life. Because I've given him my life and I read my Bible and I'm only intimate with one woman, my, my wife. No one really does that today. So Lord, you better, you better pay up. Right? What's Jesus going to do for me today? Let me ask you this, friend. What are you owed what am I owed? Now you go back to the first century Christians and you can't find anyone who's entitled. If you read anything about that, and just let me know if you find someone from, you know, that first century. And one of the reasons for that, it's because hundreds of people saw physical, tangible, visible Jesus, you know, beat death. And, 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 and he rose again, right? They were right there. He beat the Roman crucifixion, rose again on the third day, right? Just like he promised. And they watched him ascend off of the ground into the clouds, into heaven. And they were like, he's for real. He is real. He said he's coming back and, and he's coming soon. And that soon has been lost on us, let me tell you, right? To those watching the Jewish Jesus beat death, come out of the grave, ascend into heaven, they said he might be back next week. Life was not about what you rode and what you wore. It wasn't. Life was not even about making sure that everyone in your family is healthy. That was not the first thing. It wasn't. And then there's food on the table for your kids to eat. That was not the first thing. It was first about responding to all that he has done for us. Now, are all these things that I listed bad? <laughs> Certainly not. We ought to be responsible for our lives, for our, you know, uh, uh, for our health and our careers and our and our families and kids and in houses etc but it's it's about not having our immediate focus on all of these things but having our entire focus on what he has done for us at the cross truly to truly understand the ultimate purpose of christmas the ultimate purpose of him coming into our world as a baby in a manger. Really getting it. Let's continue reading with verse 36. For from him and through him and for him are all things. 
To him be the glory forever. Amen. And then it goes, and maybe you know this verse, very popular. It, it shifts chapters, right? Romans 12 now, just the first verse. Therefore, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. A different translation says, and I'm going to paraphrase this different translation. Well, beloved brothers, what should be the proper response to God's marvelous mercies? You know, mercy means not getting from God what you deserve. I have lived so entitled in my Christian life. And you know what? And by the grace of God, God has not given me what I'm owed. Thank God for that. The last thing that I want, church, the last thing that you should want is from God what I'm owed, what you're owed. I don't want that. Trust me, you don't want that either. For the wages of sin is death, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up in different ways. You want what you deserve from God? No, you do not. No, you don't. Mercy is, oh, son, oh, daughter, I will not give you what you deserve what you're owed. I won't do that. In fact, I'll pay the price and the debt for your sin. And I'll give you what I, was, what I was owed, which is life. And that's why there should be joy at Christmas. So the writer of Romans, Paul, says, what's going to be our response in view of this marvelous mercy of God then? See, when you start, when you start living a life where your focus is what Jesus has done, for me, you put yourself in a place of responding. The problem with you and I is that we have been asking the wrong question. What's he going to do for me? What's he going to do for me this season? What's he going to do for me today? If that's the posture of your heart, friend, as soon as you ask that question, you are telling everyone that what he did on the cross was not enough. We preach sermons on what Jesus is going to do for me today. Right? We write books on what Jesus is going to do for me. We fill auditoriums with people telling us what Jesus will do for us today. What's he going to do in our marriage and what's he going to do in our careers and what Jesus is going to do with our kids and our future and our businesses. How he's going to bless us and take care of us. But hold on, hold on, hold on. Cannot God do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or even imagine? Amen. Yes. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your business. He cares about your kids. He cares about my occupation, your hobbies even, your vacation and your cars. But is that the consistency of our Christianity? Right? What's he going to do for me? What's he going to do for me today? By the way, you know this trend. What's Jesus telling you right now? I don't, I don't want to take this lightly. I just, I do not, because Jesus speaks prophetically. I believe that. I'm going to be honest with that's overrated, because we use it so lightly. What is Jesus telling you right now? To be honest with you, most of us would be far better just doing the thing he's already said. <laughs> do you know, right? Do you know what I mean? You know what? I'm just going to pray about this and I'll see what God is going to tell me right now. No, if we just did the stuff he's already said, imagine how powerful the church would be then. I don't need, I shouldn't need what Jesus has done for me lately, right? I shouldn't need that. I shouldn't. He died. 
He said it is finished. He paid the price for sin in full. He said, I'll go to the grave. Then they will bury me in a tomb. And on the third day, I will rise again to prove to everyone that I taught and did miracles for that I am everything that I said I was. And that's not all of it. That's only half of the gospel. And he says, and I'm paraphrasing Jesus, and I will establish a new way of being human. And there will be a new group of people that will be a peculiar kind of people, right? My holy people, my holy nation. And they will make up my one great nation, which will be made up of all ethnicities and of, of all kindreds and of all tongues. And they will come together, not because of their ethnicity, but because of how they were redeemed. That's what will bond them. And these people called the church will orient their life around what Jesus has already done. And they will live lives that are set apart from the Lord. Set apart from the Lord because I will empower them too. That's the gospel. The reality is that the gospel came forth out of pain and suffering. And at times it looks like it would only advance powerfully through some more pain and suffering. I don't know why. And someone said that, and I quote, the stronger the persecution, the more significant the, the spiritual vitality of the believers. The story of Christmas is so amazing. It's so absolutely awesome, so good that the devil has been furiously and viciously trying to stuff it up. And what you have now is a focus on lights and gifts and family, which are not bad things, no. Instead of having our entire focus on the king of kings that was born among us for the purpose of saving us from our sin, shame, condemnation on that wooden cross. What is Satan's ultimate goal? It's quite simple, actually. To deny the world access to Jesus. Satan's greatest desire is for all people to leave Jesus alone. His desire is that we turn away from Jesus or that we never find him in the first place. The devil has been furiously and viciously trying to keep God's people from knowing him all throughout, you know, the history of humankind. Think about the millions of people in our generation. Just think about your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, right? Think about millions of people that the devil is trying to deny access from knowing Jesus. And he, he is denying them access through sinful addictions. Do you know a few of these people? Through evil injustices. Do you know a few of these people that are like, ah, Jesus is not real. No, no, no. Through shrewd ideologies. That's how he denies access to Jesus. Shrewd ideologies. Through plain lies. Through pain and suffering, how many people turn away from God or maybe they never knew God when they hit a, a crisis? Oh, there's no God. Forget it. But that's the devil at work. If Satan cannot be successful at that, he desires to keep believers quiet, diminish or silence our witness, and to stop us from bringing others to Christ. So, in closing... What should be our response to this marvelous Christmas story, the real Christmas story? Well, if we continue reading in our text, that verse, verse 1, the answer is right there. It says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
that's our response. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. A driven translation says, surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices. So the first thing that I see here really quickly, two things in closing. How should we respond? Surrender. Just surrender. Surrender to Christ. What am I supposed to surrender? Your sin? Your struggle? Your desires? Your plans? Your marriage? Your entire life? Surrender it to Christ. If, it, if this is the first time you, you're hearing the gospel, what should I do? You surrender. You turn away from your life and you surrender to Christ. What if this is, you know, my fifth year as a Christian and I'm struggling? Surrender. Surrender to Christ. Right? Aren't you tired of being an opinionated Christian? Huh, I got to ask this. Aren't you tired of being an American Christian? I am sometimes. Don't you want to be a man or a woman who says your kingdom come and your will be done, Jesus? This is not our church, and this is not our country, by the way. Our home is with him, and our country is eternal. We are his, and we are awaiting his return, church. In the meantime, whatever you want from our life, God, you got it. We say yes, right? We give up, we let go, we surrender, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ rolls through our hearts first, and then the streets because it's not about our comfort and our little plans but about him so we surrender and then the next thing worship just worship and i don't just mean sunday a couple of songs on sunday which is absolutely amazing that we we get a chance to do that right this is your true and proper worship i appeal to you church that our worship wouldn't nearly be music on sunday my genuine worship, your genuine worship to God is what you do regularly. It's how you breathe. It's how you think. It's how you make decisions. It's how you talk to your wife. That is worship. You worship to the level you live. That's it. Not the level you sing. Not the level you download albums. Not even the services that you attend. You worship to the level you live. And you will never live a worshipful life until you start living out of a place, out of a place of responding to what Jesus has done for me and for you. Let me just pray for us really quickly. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the good news. I thank you for this amazing, amazing news that you came into our world. Yes, you were born as a as a baby in a manger. That's how you came in. But Lord, you went out as our Savior on the cross. But you resurrected the third day. And you brought us to a newness of life. That was the plan. That we would live with you for an eternity. That we would commune with you. That we would live in relationship with you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And Lord, tonight, we want to count all the ways that you've included us and saved us and forgiven us and embraced us would you help us do just that help us be settled help us be lord god just satisfied in what you have done for us because that is so much 
Lord God, help us that we, you know, we shouldn't need the lately. What, what, what Jesus has done for me today or, or lately. No. Help us focus Jesus on the cross. Help us focus on the good news. And Lord God, would you grab a hold of our hearts to such an extent that we would really understand the gospel and help us respond to your marvelous, Lord God, marvelous mercy, marvelous grace by, Lord, fully surrendering our lives. And then just to live worshipful life, lives towards you. I ask this for every single person in here tonight. If there's a person, Lord God, in here that they've just heard the gospel for the first time, I, I pray that you would save them, Father. I pray that you would save them, bring them from death into life. And I thank you for all that you have done. I thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for all that you have done, Jesus.